The Church Media Podcast, episode number 52, Environmental Projection with Luke McElroy. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create a dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams in your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world. Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design, leadership, digital communications, and more. The show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online at 1230media.com/podcast. And now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media. Here's your host, Church Media Coach Carl Barnhill. Hey everybody, welcome to the Church Media Podcast. I'm Carl Barnhill. Thanks for listening to us this week. This is the definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid, thriving media production teams at your church. This week I sit down with my friend Luke McElroy. Luke is the founder of Orange Thread Media. They have created experiences for dozens of ministries, artists, conferences, and more. He is an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. If your church uses environmental projection or you're thinking about it, this is the episode for you. Luke has literally written the book on it. We'll chat about why he wrote the book, about creating experiences for ministries all around the world, and more. That's all coming up after this week's Church Media Resource of the Week. And now, your Church Media Resource of the Week. Software, websites, gadgets, and tools that will resource your creativity and your ministry. Hey everyone, it's Kim Porter from the River Church in Liberty Township, Ohio, with your Church Media Resource of the Week. Before Evernote, my desk was full of post-it notes, scraps of paper, and notebooks, and nothing seemed organized. Evernote is an app that's used on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. The application serves as your note taker, a PDA, to-do list, whatever you need to be organized. Evernote syncs automatically across all my devices so I can streamline my desk from a jumble of notes and folders into a single digital storehouse. To keep organized, I add individual notebooks and then add notes from there. To add notes, I can type directly into Evernote or I can click on the Evernote icon and import web information directly in as a note. It also has the ability for me to take voice memos, to attach files and pictures, to scan text into Evernote, and even to set reminders for myself. I also add tags so I can have easy searches when I need to find a document that I've done earlier. For creative teams, service planning, staff meetings, songwriting, prayer lists, the possibilities go on and on for how useful Evernote can be to your church. You'll have the ability to share notebooks with multiple users. And the best part is that it's free. Get rid of all your desk clutter and reorganize with Evernote. For affordable worship media, custom media, and production training for your church, visit 1230media.com today. This is an exclusive interview from 1230 Media and Carl Barnhill. Get shareable content and free resources for your team at 1230media.com slash podcast. Here's Carl now. I'm honored to welcome by phone my friend Luke McElroy. Luke is an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. He's the founder and leads the team at Orange Thread Medium. They create visual experiences and have worked with clients like LeaderCast, American Idol, uh, the Assemblies of God Church, and many more. He's also become a fast friend of mine. Luke, welcome, buddy. Thanks so much for hanging out. 
Carl, it's just an honor, man. So glad to be here. Now, we uh, we connected at NRB, and now uh, we've had this conversation uh, before a few weeks ago, but I'm sure that we've probably passed each other over the years numerous <laughs> times and oh, just goodness. never rubbed elbows and actually met until this year. So it was really cool to, to finally kind of meet and chat and, and talk with each other. It was good. I think you pulled me aside and you were like, Luke, we need to finally meet. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. I you know me. Hey. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. So uh, for our audience who doesn't know you, tell us about you and, and Orange Thread, the team that you lead and what you're all about. Take us into uh, into your world a little, a little bit. Yeah. So I've been leading Orange Thread for a few years now. We focus, we're really a live event production company. As you said, we, we create visual experiences. But at the end of the day, we, we do three main things. We and where we really started was we craft live experiences. So we, we are a live event production company. We serve mostly those in the Tennessee area, Nashville specifically, and, of course, have done num- numer- numerous events outside of Nashville, oftentimes with a Nashville or kind of, you know, middle Tennessee client. And we'll do everything from, you know, live video iMag to graphic support, screens, projectors, lights, speakers, sound systems, the whole nine yards. So... Oftentimes, I'm somewhere between the role of a producer and a production manager, depending on the client, depending on the needs. And that's where we started. I mean, eight years ago, that's where Orange Thread was birthed. We really kind of made a name for ourselves um, by doing multi-screen video production, really leveraging this concept of taking kind of a single piece of content and spreading it across multiple screens. Of course, eight years ago, it was unheard of. And you know, the triple had to go, had kind of just come on the market. So we were able to do some things that were pretty revolutionary at a fraction of the cost due to some secret sauce that's now not so secret, but it's still sauce for us, so that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and then we do two other things, um, mainly because I'm just ADHD and could never just do one thing. And we started in 2010 uh, a website called Triple Wide Media. And it basically serves the live events community. In fact, many of the people you set up front that we've worked with, um, a lot of that's through some of the content that we've created or some of the content that we've shepherded through our relationships with Triple Wide Media. And it, it really is the largest live event multi-screen library. What makes that so uh, advantageous for both churches and just live event professionals is you get all these multi-screen resolutions, including a single screen piece of media, you know, all at one cost. And it was really kind of unheard of when it came about, um, but it really is the largest kind of library of that. And that's that's a very large area as far as equipping and coming up with inspiration for the church, coming up with new ideas and, of course, obviously content. And then the thing that kind of stole my heart uh, almost four years ago, actually just over four years ago, is a conference we started. And 2013 was our first year. We started planning it late 2011. And it's all about creative arts in the church. And, and one of the things that God really placed in my heart was just a, a passion and a vision to cultivate the community of people who serve behind the scenes every single week, who God wants to utilize their gifts, their talents, their abilities, those creative gifts, those techni- technical gifts, uh, whether they're somebody who creates slides or does lighting, or maybe they write dramas, or maybe they're an actor, or maybe they're a designer themselves is to help rally those people together to help rebuild the creative walls of the church and help people understand that creativity can become a vehicle for the gospel. Anyway, that conference is called SALT Conference, and of course it's coming up in October again this year in Nashville, but um, that's my day job is leading a team of people who pull that off week in and week out, and 
Uh, of course, every day is a little different from me for me. I'm either on an event or in some marketing SEO blogging meeting or trying to figure out how to spread this mission and awareness of what we're trying to do through the SALT conference. What's the uh, what's the team look like? Do you pull in a lot of freelancers usually on depending on the event, or what's a normal week look like? What's an off week look like? Uh, you know, give me a snapshot of kind of a daily uh, grind. Well, the the only thing that is constant in my world is the inconsistent schedule that I run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get that. Uh, seriously, like I mean, you know, last week I was out of town most of the week doing an event in Atlanta, and and so during that, you know, there's a lot of remoting in, but. Our team is four full-time members. We basically have someone over every area of uh, the business as a leader. From a live event standpoint, we use about 20 to 30 uh, freelancers. So if we were thinking of this in terms of a church or a small organization, we're we're basically hiring each of the key positions as a volunteer. We just pay people because that's illegal. Um, In my world, it's illegal. (laughs) And, yeah, so we bring you in as very specialists. Um, whether you're a camera operator or video director or whatever. I mean, sometimes our team will step in, but it's typically, uh, you know, independent contractors, freelancers. And then for Triple Wide, we partner with about 60 producers um, just to help kind of, you know, expose their media and create this great platform. And then for Salt, uh, it is an army. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many volunteers, how many speakers, how many... Um, people work behind the scenes to help pull off uh, this conference. And and I'm the first to attest that uh, some people say, man, conferences are too expensive. I can tell you that conferences not only don't make money, they lose a ton of money. And I don't know why anyone would ever start a conference, and I'm apparently the dummy that chose to do that. But um, it's, it's our labor of love. I mean, it's the one thing that we as a team just get so fired up because of the mission and vision. But yeah, every week's a little different. I mean, I'm constantly in creative meetings trying to dream with clients. Oftentimes I'm given a blank piece of paper and they're like, make it look cool. Oh, and I don't have any money. And uh, that's the most common phrase I get. And then, of course, like I said earlier, you know, I'm potentially finding myself in a marketing meeting the next day trying to figure out, you know, how do we write compelling articles that may equip and inspire and educate while at the same time, you know, how do we just curate the best collection of media? So, Now, you mentioned uh, mission and vision. One thing I noticed in uh, doing some uh, just some prep work for our time together is you talk about on your website creating experiences. Now, uh, that's our, our tagline. We get uh, pumped and excited about that is uh, create the experience. So I, I'd love to just get your take on the fact that whether it's a worship service or large gathering, that we're not really creating an event. Uh, we are, but it's more than that. It's it's creating an experience. It's taking your audience on a journey. Um, talk to me about that. What have you seen when producing experiences for churches and ministries where uh, your first step might be showing them how to create an experience or how to take them on a journey? Uh, talk at that for just a second. Yeah, I love that your tagline is creating experiences. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what just what a small world that is. I mean, yeah. and I think you're on to something. I mean, if I can say that, I'm a little biased, but for us, Carl, what it really means is, um, as you look over the the history of just kind of the world, I don't know if you're familiar with, many of your listeners are familiar with The Experience Economy uh, by Joseph Pine, or Joseph Payne, I think. It's a book. He also did a TED Talk. It was phenomenal. Um, He basically helps people realize that 
when the world first started, we were trading raw commodities. You know, we'd go get a coffee bean and we would trade it for something. It would have some sort of inherent value, and it was very little, but that value still got us something. So if you were a farmer who were able to grow coffee beans and and potentially even roast them, who knows, um, you know, you could you could make a living basically trading and selling coffee. And he said, we customized that and we turned it into a product. And so now, you know, you can go get whole roasted coffee beans at the grocery store. And of course, it's going to cost you a little bit more than what it would if you bought it straight from the farmer. But we're customizing that experience for you or customizing that raw commodity and turning it into a product. Well, what happens when you turn a, when you customize a product is it turns into a service. And many of us who are listening to this, we know this too well because instead of just going to get the bag of coffee, we would prefer to go to, you know, a restaurant and have a cup poured for us, right? I mean, we pay a tip now on top of the $2 cup of coffee that you get at Denny's or wherever you go to a restaurant or wherever you go for breakfast, Waffle House. Denny's. Well, what's happened in the most recent years, as he says we've experienced, is people are starting to customize the service. When you customize a service... It becomes an experience, in his words, and and he basically says we're entering what, what he calls the experience economy. And what he means by this is that we are buying experiences, and I believe it every single day. In fact, yeah. I was not a coffee drinker uh, until about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and the only coffee that I really started drinking because, and this is a long story, but I started drinking mochas, and then I started drinking iced coffees with white mocha syrup, and then I started weaning down the white mocha syrup, so I was just drinking iced coffee, and then all of a sudden I did the switch. Well, in the process, I was using the Starbucks gold card, and it was the only thing I really knew, and so I was very familiar with the environment of Starbucks. It had this experience to it, so when it's time for me to finally start buying coffee for the office, what did I go do? I went and bought what I knew. I went and bought the experience. I bought Starbucks coffee, and of course, the whole office like laughed at me, and they were like, really? You bought Starbucks coffee? And I'm like, what's wrong? And, of course, now I've learned that you're way overpaying for coffee when you buy Starbucks uh-huh. brand ground coffee at the grocery store. And, and so that's just a perfect example that we as humans buy experiences. We value experiences far greater than anything else. And, and take that even one step further, an experience is one of the few things in this world that you cannot create an inauthentic replica of. There's no such thing as a ripped-off experience. I mean, whether it was a real or a fake experience, it was still an experience, right? Whether it was virtual or reality, it was still an experience for you. And so for us, one of the things that we're really keen on is we don't just want to create an event. We don't want to just put a bunch of lights in a room. We don't want to just put tablecloths on a table. We want to capture people. And what we want to do is we want to take them from just mundane what everybody else can do and we want to set something into extraordinary and craft an atmosphere where people get lost when we talk about experiences with our clients one of the things that we use a lot of times is this concept of theater and you know actors uh, characters in a story have to have a setting but we believe that an event is just putting up a couple of details and you know letting some things happen so that you have kind of a party but when you go to a gathering or you go to an event or you go to a service or whatever and you're like, wow, something was, something impacted me, it's often because the things that were set up from a technical or a creative or an artistic standpoint in many ways transcended just the use of technology or art. They began to craft an atmosphere for you as a character to feel like you were involved in the story you were partaking in. I mean, how important is this for the church, right? Like, 
we get a chance to invite people into the story of God that maybe not Christians. Well, what a great reason for Sunday morning to be an experience. Now, obviously, for every expression of faith, that experience is going to look a little different. But for us, that's kind of why we use that phrase experience. And then when we're talking with both, you know, faith-based clients and secular-based clients, and we're trying to help them realize, like, hey, there's there's a bigger reason for why you meet. You know, you don't you're not for profit doesn't just do a you know a, a gala a gala for the sake of having a fun night. Their ultimate purpose is to raise money or to cause an awareness. Well, if we can do that through story, we can do that through atmosphere. We don't just tell you the story. Let's take World Vision for example. We don't just tell you that World Vision is trying to solve hunger in some of the most you know poverty stricken areas of the world. We want to craft an experience. We want to take you virtually into some of these cities, into some of these communities, into some of these worlds that are so poverty-stricken. And we don't want you just to see. We want you to feel something. We want you to literally be able to have a a fake, real experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think uh, you hit on it there. in your last sentence there too in the that it's a feeling it's an an emotion and that, that's why i think that uh more experiences are becoming like when you go to theme parks and you it's not only the the sight but it's all the senses it's smell mm-hmm. and and feeling and movement and uh, t- uh, you know taste and you know i think it, it can encompass you know several uh senses and i think an experience does that you you feel more than if it was a product or just an event that you're going to sit and listen to. It's it's a immersive. Um, I, those are good words. All right, so let's get into your new book. You just wrote a book on environmental projection. Uh, let's talk about that. Tell me wh- where the book came about, how you uh, formed the ideas, and why did you write it? Well, as, as you may be able to attest, Carl, because I believe you've read either most of it or all of it, um, it's more than just a book on technology that's about environmental projection. Um, I, I knew when I started that project, I had birthing in me. It's a lot of what we just talked about, this concept of how do we as the church craft these virtual atmospheres that help deepen the worship experience? And when I started, I thought, you know, I can't just write a book about technology. I can't just write a book that is the how-to, because so much of the how-to has to come from a biblically rooted why. And so in many ways, the project was to both build a case for why immersive sacred spaces or visually immersive spaces have a role in the church today, and a really paint a, I think, and I hope, a succinct, beautifully crafted picture about, you know, just that we don't do this for marketing. Like, none of this is done to try and have this Taylor Swift-esque experience. None of immersive visual environments is done so that you know, people are kind of lured into the hip church, right? Like, none of that is the purpose. But that I really paint this picture of what cathedrals were in the day and what Moses and God really teaches through Moses in the, you know, book of Exodus to Oliab and um, Beziel, that they were artists, and they were designed to craft all this detail in the church, and that God cares a great deal about the visual of His worship. And then, of course, in the second half of the book, I take probably the most in-depth, step-by-step um, sort of guide yeah. as you would potentially consider in putting this into your church yourself. Now, um, speaking of experiences, and uh, you mentioned cathedrals too, the book kind of starts with 
an experience that you had in London, going to these cathedrals and seeing that art and stuff like that. Tell me yeah. about that trip and that experience. Man, it was a trip I'll never forget. I, I was asked to speak at an event, and this is a story I don't tell in the book, I don't think. And I was home with my family in Atlanta, and I was just telling them that I got asked to speak in London, which was a, a honorable thing. And um, my dad goes, man, London's such a beautiful city. I, I hope you get a chance to go and stay for a little bit. I said, well, it's funny. I've actually asked if I can fly in a little early, and I'll pick up my you know expenses and tab and all that sort of stuff so I can just see the city. I thought, hey, they're flying me over there. And my dad ended up choosing to join me. And uh, it became just this special trip. I'll never forget. We walked into a number of cathedrals. In fact, that kind of became my thing was I want to walk into a cathedral. I want to experience the atmosphere that these ancient cathedrals seem to put off. And, you know, the reality is there were two stories that really stood out. One um, was when I walked into Saint, uh, I mean, Westminster Abbey. And I don't know if any of your listeners have been there, but if, if they have, you walk in and your eyes just immediately are drawn upward. And I just remember really kind of being put in this place of holy reverence, just kind of being like, holy cow, God, like this building literally causes me to feel the magnificence of your glory. You know, the sad part is, is that the church has kind of lost its way a little bit um, just in some of their theology, but just being in this space, the, the holiness of that caused me to immediately enter into this amazingly deep place of worship. And it caused me to immediately question, what does that do to our churches? I mean, what, what do our church buildings in America cause people to do? Like, are they rendered in a posture of worship, or are they in many ways coming and going, oh, yeah, it's a very functional building, multi-purpose room, you know, like when a gymnasium or whatever. The truth is some people are listening and are like, well, Luke, I don't have control over that. You're right. But, and that's what I hope to take you through in this book is to help you realize that just because you're in a very functional space doesn't mean we can't bring art in in a way that mm, gives people a potentially awe-inspiring atmosphere. But, yeah, it's just crazy. And, of course, the second cathedral I walked into, a little bit different. I don't think I talked about this. I think I ended up cutting it, but I told a story about um, this is kind of insider information. Here we go. Only for you guys. Um, I told a story of walking into St. Uh, Paul's Cathedral or St. Peter's uh, in in London, and, of course, you walk in, and it's like a marketplace. And I remember thinking about Jesus walking in the temple and just turning over the tables, because everywhere you went inside this church, it cost more money. It's like, to do the tours, 10 bucks, and then to go inside, and you had to get a souvenir, and then you wanted to go up to the third level, which was the highest peak in London, it was another $35. And I just kept thinking, like, wow, what has happened? It was the most real experience. But what's amazing is the beauty that's in that building. I mean, the stained glass and paintings in St. Peter's is way uh, more stunning than just the grandeur and size of Westminster. But both of these, both of them were telling powerful stories. And both of them, when you walked in, there was no question that you were captivated by something. And that captivation for me pointed me upward towards God. And I immediately began to reflect and meditate in this deep way. And and that's really what spurred a lot of the book was, wow, what do our buildings spur people to think the moment they come on site? Because I really have this revelation, Carl, that every single person listening to me that works in a church or attends a church or maybe volunteers, they're telling a story. Their church is telling a story. Everything that they do is speaking a narrative. 
The problem is most people don't realize that they're telling a story. Most people don't realize the story that they're telling. And I just wondered what would happen if we become a little more intentional about the art, media, and the environment, the way things are laid out, and what that story tells. Well, in later chapters, you talk about um, how it's it's rooted in that what you were just talking about that is that is deeper than just entertainment, and you kind of morphed into talking about how your the screen visuals that you create with the um, inside the experiences is not just about entertainment that it takes on some spiritual depth. Uh, tell me how you wrestled with with that and and how that came out in the book. Well, I, you know, I was given this beautiful gift growing up of being ADHD, and mm-hmm. I really do call it a gift because today it's caused me to be way more hyper-aware of things like technology in the church. Uh, when I was young, it was the only thing that really caused me to stay at all focused. It was running slides, running lyrics, so that's just an encouragement to anybody listening that, you know, if you've got a high school student, middle school student who you're just like, they cannot stay focused— there's a chance, and I'm not going to say this is true for everybody, but there's a really good chance that the person that is your volunteer, that you're killing yourself with being focused, this may be the only way they're engaged in the church. Um, so that's just a freebie, by the way. <laughs> but when I first got started, it, like I said, it was really kind of a way to keep me engaged, and, and it was entertainment. It was cool. It was the wow factor, right? Like, all, and I don't know if I shared this in the book, but when I got started in, in creative arts in church, which is years ago when I was in high school, but I got involved because of the cool factor. And if if, yeah. if I were getting involved today, I'd use phrases like, I got in so I could tweet cool pictures about it to my friends. And, and as I've gotten older, I've really wrestled with, if the only reason we're doing this is because it's a cool thing, we're attempting to be the entertainment industry. And of course, I live in Nashville. I live and breathe with people who are in the entertainment industry every day. We work in the entertainment industry in many regards. And the reality is we will never beat Taylor Swift at entertaining a crowd. We will never out-budget her. We will never out-idea her. Because one of the most important things I've learned over the past several years is uh, Taylor Swift spends a couple of months working on one show that she performs for potentially upwards of two years right. every night. We, as a church, spend, what, four days, five days working on, to use the same language, even though I don't like the language, to produce a show once a week. And, you know, the reality is we just, we can't do that. And so for me, I realized um, I was missing it. And in that process, I started really studying, well, then what does color do to an atmosphere? What does texture do to help us craft these spiritually enhancing moments? And and I really believe that for me, it started with this heartbeat of, Luke, is this real for you? And are you leading this out of a place of worship? Or are you leading this out of a place of, oh, that's cool? And so I've learned to kind of have to ditch that, well, that's cool, for, man, this moves me in worship. I mean, it really is kind of a gut check of like, is this image helping me have a clear picture? I mean, one of the great example, I actually did this last week at Orange Conference in Atlanta, 8,000 people in the room, and of course they sung the song Oceans. I say, of course they sung the song Oceans. I'm sure everybody just laughed at that. But, uh, well, okay, let's talk about visuals for a second for Oceans. What do you think most people would choose for Oceans? Of course, blue water. Exactly. And so for me, I sat there in that moment and thought, the people in this room are leaders in the church. 
And I have an opportunity to, and I have some very cool water motions in my content library. I just need to say that. So there's an element of me that I can take what they may do every single week and elevate it to a level of cool. Or I can choose to try my best to create a worship moment out of it. And so what we instead did was we literally did black and white stars the entire song. Now you may be sitting there going, okay, I don't get it, Luke. What do you mean by stars on oceans? Because oceans really is being lost in this kind of sea of grace, right, or this sea of fear. Well, for me, I felt like, isn't that kind of what outer space is too? So if I can, through a visual medium, give you something to take this song on a deeper level and maybe make it new again spiritually for you, then I've just, you know, accomplished what I feel like God's called me to do visually, or from a visual worship standpoint. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, there are 8,000 people in the room. I don't know if it impacted anybody. But I know for me, in that moment, once I triggered that clip, I know it gave a different perspective. And I think that's the goal of any visual worship leader creative artists that's listening. Like our, a lot of times our goal in worship is to help things become spiritually new again, just like music would do, just like a good song. Um, you know, I've always believed that songs are a way to put a melody or a prayer in, that is ingrained in our lives. And I think in many ways the right picture for people can help them spiritually have a new hat to hang their theologically you know, bound ideas or scripture or whatever that you know prayer may become in their life i want to go back to something that you mentioned about uh when you first got started uh in this art form uh how you were a teenager and you thought it was really cool and i think that as a as leaders in our churches and i I talked to in this podcast we, we talked to a lot of church media directors so staff guys on church leading volunteer teams that are leading teenagers and and young adults that are getting into this medium because it's cool. And I think that, um, you know, I feel a responsibility, I did as that that staff member when I was on staff at a church, to pour into that person to where it doesn't take them 8, 10, 15 years to realize the spiritual depth of what they're doing, um, but to pour into them now and pastor them now so that and continue to give them the why and teach them the why and mentor them, you know, and and take time talking about the why, so that we don't have to wait seven, eight, ten years for them to mature out of that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say to media directors is to realize that your volunteers for tech, and they probably already realize this, but I'll hopefully encourage them to to kind of dig a little deeper, but. Volunteers for tech ministry and creative arts ministry, they are there because they see a opportunity for God to utilize their gifts. And the first thing I'd say in, uh, to that comment is I think it's there's a tension in tech arts. I think there's a tension as tech directors, media directors, creative directors, and churches that um, you naturally want to go, man, I want the best product possible. So you know what? Let's Let's ship this off. Let's go get. A, let's go hire an outside designer, or let's go hire a professional to do this, or whatever. And one of the things I've learned through kind of my own journey is that when we choose excellence over inviting somebody into the story of God, we are robbing someone of the opportunity to be used by God. And what I would say to that is, it's it's okay for things to not be perfect. 
um, as long as we're helping wrap the what and why. Now, I think the number one job of a media director when they're working with volunteers is to help them see the eternal perspective of what they're doing. You know, if they're running slides, they're running media, they're, they're helping realize that they're putting concrete visuals or helping formulate these visuals that may deepen a worship experience. If someone's running sound, it, it may be that we transparently are allowing them to engage in a musical worship environment, right? Or lighting is there, again, to help craft these color um, palettes that people may be able to connect on a deeper level. I mean, we haven't even talked about color theory, but it's something I'd recommend everybody listening to really, um, you know, go research and look for themselves. And so I think that's what's important is constantly wrap that around. But as a, as a person who may be training or leading either a new believer, maybe it's a young student, somebody that was me 10, 12 years ago, um, no longer than that, actually. But what I would say was really important was understanding the importance of discipleship. Yeah. And, you know, for me, when I was getting started, I thought it was just about pushing buttons. I mean, I thought that that was seriously all it was about. And I was glad to have two guys invest in me early, but they only invested in me for about a year or two before I went off to college and didn't have that investment for a while. And then um, I realized, like, what they were doing and continued that journey. But it's so important to be wrapping every element of the technical piece into biblical perspective. As a media tech director, what does it look like for you to start doing a Bible study with your tech teams? What does it look like to start studying the Word? You know, a great guy, I think, as a creative artist person to study is the life of Nehemiah. I'm convinced he is one of the most artistic, nonprofit, ordinary dudes who changed a nation because of a call of God to rebuild a wall in Nehemiah. So, you know, I think having Bible studies, making sure that people know that, hey, we don't just do tech because it's a, it's a service. You know, it's, we're not just service providers to our pastor. Uh, we have an app, an opportunity to become visual worship leaders and, you know, sonic worship leaders and craft atmospheres for people to encounter God. Right, and once they exactly. realize that, once perspective has been set, I think God takes it from there, and I think people um, go on their own faith journey because they understand eternal impact. That's so good. And uh, you were mentioning excellence, and uh, you know sometimes we we should not choose excellence over uh, using and developing people. I used to use an uh, like an eighty percent rule um, that that mm. that twenty percent of the button didn't get pushed right or whatever is that margin of that I can tell my staff leaders hey I'm I'm shooting for an 80% accuracy rate in the service like 80 to 90%. There's always going to be a 10 to 20% gap of things that go wrong because we're working with volunteers. So we right. can we can either fork over a bunch of money and outsource it, and we don't really want to do that because we want to provide all these serving opportunities. So this may be an encouragement. This was an encouragement to me, to my staff leaders, to go, hey, let me give me grace in that 20% because I'm developing leaders, and I am helping them understand that they're creating experiences, and I'm providing opportunities for them. You know, Absolutely. so so I think it can be an encouragement to the uh, to the staff team as well. I guess. Uh, yeah, anyway, that, sorry for my rabbit trail. <laughs> well, and I'd like to take that even one step further. And, and you mentioned something that's really important, and that is, you said you know you could fork over a bunch of money, and it probably for some churches isn't that big of a deal to spend maybe 
couple hundred dollars to, you know, train people. I mean, not train people, uh, to, to go and get designers to do all your outside design. But if you've got somebody that wants to learn design and wants to help, why not utilize them, right? Why not right. give them a, a, a role in the story of God? What I would say, to take that one step further, is still spend the money. Like, don't say that you don't need as much for your budget, which now I just made everybody happy. <laughs> yes, I get to know why I need to spend this. But instead of spending the money on doing the job, spend the money on training your people. Yeah. In other words, help them grow and make sure that you're investing well in them. Take them to a conference. Maybe it's your entire yeah. volunteer staff. Bring them back information that you've learned from a conference. I mean, here's one thing I encourage a lot of people that I talk to, especially when it comes to SALT, is if people were to come to SALT or let's say they were to go to NRB or whatever, if I were the senior pastor of a church, I would require them to come back and lead me in a seminar of what they learned. Yeah. Two reasons for that. Number one, when you have to go teach something, you know it ten times better. So it not only helps formulate in your own mind what you may have gotten out of something, but it expands the investment we may have made in that conference or whatever that may be. And so for, for you to be able to leave a space, whether it's a conference or seminar, or maybe it's a book you've read, I mean, all these things, how do you spend that money that you would have been spending shipping it out and, you know, making it, quote, perfect uh, to professionals? Why don't you spend that money now to grow the people you're with to make them professionals? I mean, it doesn't mean that you – I mean, when we choose this, I think so often the, the rep like when you were speaking about what you used to do, Carl, I'm sitting there going, I love it, I love it. But now inside my head's going, but wait, does that mean I can never use professionals? No, right. no, no. What if instead of utilizing professionals, your goal now is to grow people to become professionals? You got it. And, you know, it's interesting, too. This is coming from – this content is coming from two entrepreneurs that make a living – because churches hire yeah, us as the professional, <laughs> quote. I just told you, don't hire me. Hire right. everybody else, or use your own people, which I so believe. And exactly that's right. And that's why we started Salt. You know? That's right. And I, th- I believe that's why me and you do what we do, is because we have a heart for both. We have a heart for the church to be excellent at what we do, but also develop people and, and train your own people and uh, you know develop mentor and pastor. Um, so that's cool. All right, so let's get back to your book for a few minutes. Uh, you, later on in your book, you talk about the in- ingredients of, of EP, environmental projection, and you give really a step-by-step. It, it can be very detailed in parts of the book, how you describe certain things, which is, is good, and I, I thought it was very uh, complex and simple at the same time, that it was very easy to understand the flow of of your thought process. Walk us through kind of that back half of the book. Yeah. So obviously, as you said, the first half is really philosophy. It's kind of laying a groundwork. Um, I joke with people, if you're, if you're serious about just, Hey, all I care about Luke is, you know, how do I do this? The book's perfect. Just go get it and only read the second half. And then hopefully that's good enough that you'll go back and read the first half. But I also tell people that are like, Luke, I have no interest in environmental projection. I'll go, you're still going to get a ton out of the first half. My dad read it and called me, and he goes, well, the second half I didn't really understand, uh, but he's also never touched a projector in his life. (laughs) I'm like, well, that kind of helps. But he said he got a lot out of the front half. So um, basically in the second half, yeah, I walk through what I call my four main ingredients, although there's a curveball because there's actually a fifth, right? Um, And what I really talk through is, any environmental projection setup requires four main building blocks. And what I tried to do in the process is 
actually unpack even deeper what each of those building blocks may mean. You know, if you've ever seen me teach a seminar, I'm, I really only do a very surface level for ingredients. Um, and, and I have to because of time, obviously. But in the book, I was able to really go deep on what is the difference between a DLP projector and an LCD projector? What is, how do you potentially get a little bit extra light out of it? What are some things to look for when you're purchasing your own projectors? And, you know, what sort of cable types are you know, dangerous and what should you avoid and all that sort of stuff. But then I also spend a good deal of time going through some tips for choosing the right media and how do you, and that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, I talk about color theory. I, I go in detail about the role of texture and motion and speed. You know, I tell this great story of me being a major worship event, which I have vowed to never mention the name of because – Mm-hmm. Everyone would know it, and I don't intend on any malice towards this worship leader, even though I got permission to tell this story a lot. But, I mean, it's a name everybody would recognize. And, you know, I'm standing at their worship con- concert, and these just motions are just flying past. And this was 10 years ago or 8 years ago, and it was really one of the first major multi-screens. And it just reminds you for two reasons. One, everything is faster when everything is enlarged. You know, when your medium goes from a 16 by 9 screen to a potentially 100 foot wide video surface um everything speeds up and so i you know i use little anecdotes and stories of things i've experienced to kind of help understand speed but i also talk about what what does visual silence mean and and all those sorts of deals and then i and then i kind of end the book a little bit asking i think the question that everybody asks as they're reading the entire thing and that is is this just a fad or is this going to be around for a while. And so if you want the answer to that, you'll have to grab the book. But, um, you know, I just kind of answer that, that big question, like, is this just here for this season or is this kind of here to stay? So that's good. Um, yeah. So, all right. So where can we pick it up? Little tips and trips. Oh, sorry. Well, you can get it at, um, iTunes or Amazon is probably the best place right now. You can just search it. Um, or if you want, I'm actually giving away the first three chapters, which is crazy because it's all the philosophy. Um, but we just really believe in it, and I just am so passionate about the why behind this what, and, and I think it would impact any ministry. And so you can do that at um, – the link is – hopefully I'll get this to you, and you can put it in show notes or yep. something. I don't know if you guys do that. But uh, TWM.co backslash the EP book. That's a capital T – EP book, or you can just go to triplewidemedia.com, and it's probably the homepage, or you can look me up on Twitter or Instagram. It's probably going to be somewhere in there. So yeah, and all those the links environmental will be, uh, in the show. Yeah, and we'll we'll embed all that stuff in the show notes too. There's also a blog post on the site that you kind of do a review of the book and also give away those yeah. uh, three chapters. That's on uh, our site as well. So both of those, 1230media.com, triplewidemedia.com, both of those will we'll link you over there, and I'll be sure to include all that uh, in the show notes for this episode. Luke, man, thank you so much for uh, for hanging out today, buddy. Uh, our time just flew call. by. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun when we get a chance to just kind of talk about this, and you know, I hope that it hasn't just been lip service for people. I hope that they may walk away going, man, I got a couple of things I want to go do now. You know, I got a couple yeah. of things I need to look and think about. So, All right, so SALT's coming up in a few months. Give us an early bird, um, uh, you know, a peek into what we should expect, how we can get tickets <laughs> and stuff. When we get closer, I'd love to have you back and, and talk through that, but give us a little sneak peek. 
Yeah, I'd love to come back. Um, if anybody has known much about salt, we don't really give sneak peeks. Um, the only thing I'll tell you yeah. is you don't want to miss it. Um, the one thing I will I will tell you is um, if you've always thought about coming to salt and you just not pulled that trigger, this is the year you need to do it. Um, I'm just leaving that there. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say why, but there is just, that's the year you, this is the year you need to do it. And, um, yeah, we're just excited. I mean, it's probably going to be six, 700 people that do exactly what you do. Media directors, career directors, technical directors. Um, we're super excited. We're about two weeks away from launching our website with all of our speakers and all of our breakout classes. And I can tell you this, that, um, first of all, we've never done that. We've never launched all that at the same time, which is pretty exciting. Um, so we're pretty stoked about that. If they want to know more, Go to saltnashville.com, fill out a little form to get on our email newsletter. I promise we won't spam you. But, yeah, we're just, I don't know. I, I just got to tell you, there's something special. I can tell you this. We're, we're going to be leaning into that concept of perfection. We're going to be leaning, learning, leaning into that concept of what does the Bible really say about excellence? And, um, you know, it's kind of a teaser I haven't shared with anybody, so that's kind of just for 1230 folks. And, yeah, I think we're just going to really have a, a, an honest conversation and, really dig into this concept that excellence is a posture of the heart. It's not this pursuit of perfection. And what does that mean for us as creatives? What does that mean in our leadership? What does that mean as we train others? And so I just think it's going to be incredible. I I guarantee you will walk away with unbelievable amounts of tips and tricks and ideas and just ways to better the creative and technical aspects of your industry. But but my prayer and what our team leans so hard into is that you would have a spiritual revival-like encounter while you're at Salt. That it's a chance you'd be able to come to a place that the technology and the creativity is done well, that you can worship. It's not done over the top. We try our best to not do anything ostentatiously um, so that the whole time you're like, oh, how did I do that? How did, you know, like we nerd out, right, in worship. And so I hope it's a safe place. But I also think you'll get a chance to connect with people who do what you do, who are, in, who are asking the same questions. You know, how do I deal with this volunteer issue? Or where do I get resources to do this? Or how do I find out about how to do this? You know, and, and so often at conferences, it's tough to get some of those questions answered without having a salesperson of a company sell you on that. And so we do our best to just kind of help people get around other people. And it's this, it's this big conference that we spend a whole lot of energy and effort to make feel really, really small, which both just scared and engaged every single introvert, right? Like yeah. you can get lost if you really want, but you also get a chance to be um, kind of enter into these one-on-one. And it's a very comfortable environment. So it's going to be exciting. So how can we keep up with you? Where can we follow you? The best is probably on, on Instagram or Twitter. Um, I have not joined the Snapchat boat, to be honest with you. I haven't either, buddy. So I apologize. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm in your boat, uh, my friend. Yeah. So, yeah, at Luke McElroy is going to be the best place for this. Well, buddy, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Carl, appreciate you, man. Luke McElroy, founder of Orange Thread Media, the parent company to Triple Wide Media, Salt Conferences, and Orange Thread Live. You can keep up with Luke, read his blog, and get some free resources for your team and more at LukeMcElroy.com. Hey, guys, Luke's book is really a must-have on your shelf as a church creative. Coming out of a desire to see sacred art return to worship spaces, Luke takes you on a journey from cathedrals of the 1600s 
to the blank canvases of the modern church. Okay, I'll lose the accent. But he shows you how art and visuals can create immersive, sacred spaces using the modern technology of environmental projection. It's extremely practical for your church and is super affordable too. Be sure to grab a copy on Amazon, on the iBook store, or at LukeMcElroy.com. Well, guys, that is it for us this week. For complete show notes, transcripts, links to Luke's projects, and more, visit 1230media.com forward slash podcast. You can click on episode number 52 for all the goodies. Guys, next week on the show is going to be awesome. If you have ever seen Simon Sinek's Start With Why TED Talk about the golden circle and was blown away like I was, you're going to love who we have on the show next week. Stephen Shedletsky, who is the chief engagement officer at Start With Why, is going to be in the house. I'm going to chat with him about the importance of knowing why your team exists and how to keep your why at the forefront of everything you do. I kind of wish we had gotten Stephen for our very first episode, to be honest with you. It's incredible. Don't miss that next week on the show. I want to thank my producer, the amazing David Michael Hyde, for his work this week. David is a contemporary composer and music producer for film and digital media. DavidMichaelHyde.com is his online home. Be sure to watch the master work there. You can also hire him for your own video and audio projects. Only if you want the best, that is. DavidMichaelHyde.com Thanks for listening this week. Go out there, guys, and create some incredible experiences this Sunday. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. catch you right here next week for another episode of the church media podcast